welcome in to the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're coming at you a little bit later this week, given the all-star break. You know, Matt Sells, at the salesman on Twitter, needed a little extra time. I could have used a little break as well. You know, the players aren't the only ones working throughout all of this. So past couple of days have been quite nice in terms of some of the maybe lessened workload duties and writing and editing, and all of that good stuff. So the players got a much-needed break. We got a much-needed break. But we are back bringing this to you as we're about to kick off the second half or the ceremonious second half of the season since we're not exactly at the at the direct halfway point. But with me, as always, here is Matt Sells at The Salesman on Twitter. Matt, I believe the last time we talked was in your forthcoming trip to the party porch. I uh, saw that you saw a pretty cool jersey while you were there, too, via the old Twitter mobile. So how is everything going for you? How was the party porch? And we had the NFL or the MLB draft that we're going to talk about here in a bit as well. The party porch was awesome. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, in fact, I think the next time we go to Kauffman Stadium, we're just going to go get those tickets because um, it's fantastic. All for the price of one ticket. I ate like... Four hot dogs. Uh, I had three beers, so I went over. Oh, the overhead. I knew I it. The, the overhead. I knew it. Um, I had about 14 bottles of water because uh, it was toasty there in Kansas City, <laughs> um, which it should be in July. And uh, I had some breakfast food. I had some nachos. I had some uh, free peanuts, like in the shell peanuts. So, yeah, definitely got my money's worth when you add up not only the beer but the bottled water and like four hot dogs that's like 20 bucks right there minimum um yeah it was it was pretty awesome so that was fun uh things turned a little sour in terms of um news about my favorite team though over the since we last spoke which is we'll touch on here shortly and uh then uh the mlb all-star game and draft happened so that was pretty sweet to watch yeah, it's a shame that Washington's going to trade Josh Bell because I know it's exactly what you were referencing there. So, yeah, we'll have to see with the trade deadline coming up. But before that, let's talk about some of the events that happened over uh, the past couple of days. So we had the Home Run Derby, which was, I'll say, electric. It was pretty fun to watch. Um, let's just go pretty cut and dry, obviously. Um, some guy named Juan Soto, who has become a hot commodity of late, uh, ended up winning the Derby, but I'll just put it to you this way. What was your favorite moment of the Derby? Um, so I guess my favorite moment was actually seeing Pujols still have it, right? Like he was on an oxygen tank and came in on a wheelchair or whatever, and then out clubbed the world's hottest hitter, Kyle Schwarber. That was pretty cool. Um, a colleague of mine asked who I had winning it before the thing started, and I said Julio Rodriguez because – guy's got power for days and he's young enough to that the uh situation won't tire him out he came close he came close uh the other young guy uh you know won it my other favorite moment though was a tweet that i saw that had the ages of how old everybody all of the competitors were when albert Pujols hit his first major league home run and julio rodriguez was 98 days old so like that's kind of shocking <laughs> nobody was older than eight let's put it that, that is, way so <laughs> so that is pretty, so crazy that yeah. is i mean pools it's there was all the jokes about him gonna get hurt during it which every swing i was kind of waiting for a little you know yeah little like, time you know, out, a little yeah. yeah a little side to side <laughs> rotation 
and and all of this. Uh, to me, some of my favorite moments, uh, not necessarily my favorite, but I was pretty certain that Schwarber had tied Pujols in the second swing Yes, I'm pretty um, sure ESPN missed a home run. I believe they did. I, you know, we don't have to I watched video. On that. I watched video evidence of it. Yep. Uh, I loved seeing the polar bear deadlift in between rounds. That was cool to see. He was using a hex bar. I mean, depending if that's your type of deadlifting T um, or not. And my other one, I think, was right away, right at the beginning of the derby, watching Julio Rodriguez's BP pitcher not step when throwing. That was wild. I wrote about it in the yeah. fantasy baseball daily roundup we do. Ever since, like, you start playing baseball, literally the first lesson that you're taught is, is you to step, step and throw. throw. Yeah. Step and throw. And he just did not step. And that first pitch and watching Julio Rodriguez whiff on the first pitch, I was like, you know what? This really humanizes this event because what they are doing is exceptional. And you know what? They're just humans, just like you or I. I'll swing and miss. And it's cool seeing that, like, Julio Rodriguez swings and misses, too, on BP. So I think that was humanizing. So that was probably one of my yeah. favorite moments. By the way, to put that in, in – you know, the, the flat-footed pitching. It'd be like watching Steph Curry drill three-pointers without taking a jump, yep. right? Like, just stand still and all arm it from, like, 30 feet. Like, <laughs> it's just weird to watch a guy throw a baseball without having to step. Yeah, that was – it was interesting nonetheless. Then we had the All-Star game last night as well with the American League coming out on top 3-2. Uh, to two. Any favorite moments from that? Anything stand out in the game itself? Yeah, Kershaw picking off Otani was pretty cool. Uh, there in the in the first inning, that was pretty sweet. Because <laughs> Otani didn't even have his gloves on. It's like I wasn't even gonna run. I didn't think he was gonna throw. <laughs> and then Kershaw did his patented pickoff move and got Otani uh, flat-footed. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, I really enjoyed listening to Nestor Cortez and Jose Trevino talk to each other when they had the players mic'd up mm-hmm. and you could hear how they were going to attack the uh the hitters i thought that was i thought that was pretty cool to get insight uh there on on kind of how a pitcher catcher relationship works in the in the majors yeah and i think for me not necessarily like a favorite moment of it per se but when i was doing the again the fantasy baseball daily round if i was looking at it noticed a trend here this is now I think I believe the, the line for the game, I believe it was seven and a half runs, if I remember correctly. That but that puts high. I, it was somewhere around there because um, I remember writing it because I remember looking it up and looking at the past scores. That game tends to go under quite a little bit. 3-2 this year, 5-2 the year before, 4-3 back in 2019. Um, the last over was in 2018. And prior to that, if we stick at that seven and a half line, we look back at 2015. So just keep in the back pocket, depending on where the line comes. You might want to lean to the under in these All-Star yeah. games. Also, ninth straight win for the AL. Uh, it was also the first time the NL held the lead in that game since 2016. And the first time they held the lead of more than one run since 2012. So the NL is getting a little outpaced there. Uh, I, I'd like to, to give the Astros a shout-out. Usually we're crapping on the Astros. They gave Paul Blackburn a uh, ride in their charter for the All-Star game. I don't know if anybody saw this, but apparently Paul Blackburn, the A's only All-Star, was apparently booked on commercial flight for, you know, showing up to L.A. from the the A's played their last series in Houston, I believe, before the All-Star break. 
And then he was going to fly commercial from Houston to L.A. for the All-Star game. And the Astros, not only the team they were playing, but a division rival, heard about that and offered him a spot on their team charter so he could fly out in style to the All-Star game. Just but, like, what are the A's doing? Like I... I don't know what the A's are doing, but let's keep keep that little factoid in the back pocket come Blackburn's free agency. Just keep it in mind. Yeah. Keep it in mind. Real very first off, very nice move by Houston. Also, very savvy move by Houston. Yes. They know what they're doing. They we crap on them a lot, but they know what we are doing. Other than that, they're trying trying to buy off A's pitchers because Fires leaked the the uh the cheating thing, right? Fires was an A's pitcher. Mm-hmm. Or that, yeah. Maybe they're trying to buy off A's pitchers. I don't know. <laughs> there, there are extra <laughs> motivations, regardless of what it actually ends up being. There are definitely uh, extrinsic factors involved there. But Matt, I want to, I'm going to bring this right out to the forefront. We're going to talk about it right now. Uh, I remember telling my wife a couple of days ago. Imagine being in a situation where someone wants to offer you almost half a billion dollars, and you have the for lack of better words, ability to turn it down, knowing that there's a very good chance that you can get more than 440 big ones. I don't know how that how that ability comes to play, but Juan Soto clearly has it. And this is one of those things that we saw in Houston before in NFL. You know, what is it going to take to acquire like, you know, Deshaun Watson, who's a all all pro quarterback, 25 years old, young. That doesn't happen. Young franchise players don't get traded in many sports. And now we're seeing it in baseball with Juan Soto now, who is, it seems like in the blink of an eye, has become available in trade talks. Whatever, if a trade ends up occurring, Washington is going to get a, everyone wants to throw out like the Herschel Walker comparison. That's going to be just a boatload of, you know, active players that can help now, prospects to help in the future, and not just, you know, middling prospects. It's going to be cream of the crop prospects. So I saw you had some thoughts on Twitter. You, I get it, you know, when your franchise player potentially on the way out, you got some thoughts about it. So um, I'm going to slide this soapbox or a little box over to you so you can stand. You got a megaphone. Let's hear your thoughts on the whole Juan Soto contract and if possible impending trade. So... I have mixed feelings about the situation that's happening. Um, first, I knew that the first offer to Soto was not enough. The 15-year, $325 million deal was never going to get it done. Then I was happy to see that they raised it and gave him uh, what, dollar-wise, is the largest contract ever offered in baseball history at $440 million. And none of it was deferred, which has been a huge thing for the Nats previously is that they've um, deferred a ton of contracts. For example, Max Scherzer is going to be being paid by the Nats for the next seven years. Uh, Well, six, I guess the Dodgers picked up the tab on the seventh. But half of Scherzer's contract is still owed to him, to give you an idea about the deferred money situations that the Nats use. Um, That was Bryce Harper's big thing, was that they were going to, like, backload the bejesus out of it and give him, like, half the money deferred. That's why he left. Uh, Rendon didn't want deferred money theoretically and then took it from the Angels because I guess he just didn't want Washington. So I understand that the AAV on the $440 million offer puts him like 20th in baseball. I get that. You want to be paid in at least the top five AAV-wise. I understand that. However, the comments that Soto 
makes that says, oh, I want to be in Washington long term. I want to win here. I want to bring another title back to D.C. Okay, then make a counteroffer. Like, what do you want the Nats to give you? They clearly are willing to give nearly a blank check. So tell them, uh, which isn't going to happen because his, his agent is Scott Boris, unfortunately. Um, and there are mixed reports out there as to whether or not the Nats are going to make another offer before they trade him or not. It's also, there's a wrinkle with new team ownership theoretically coming in. And do the new team owners want a chance to try, you know, whenever, whenever the team is actually sold, do the new team owners want a chance to try to make a deal with Soto? And is it just the learners that he's having a problem with? So there's, there's a lot to go through. Let's not look past the fact that he's under team control through 2024. So there's not necessarily impetus to trade him right now. Would you get the most for him right now with two and a half years left? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But just because you've put it out there that you're listening to trades doesn't mean you're going to get the best one before the deadline. Um, so if the Nats are serious about keeping them, they should go up to about 525 million, which I think is an AAV of about 36 million a year, which puts them in the top three. And I don't really want to hear about, well, you can't do that and win. Well, that's what they paid Strasburg to do when he was theoretically healthy. So you can, they put way more than that in their pitching staff and won the 2019 world series because of it. So uh, we'll see what happens. I hear reports that it'll take the top four prospects from any team that's interested, plus at least one young major leaguer. Um, plus, I guess, a willing to take Patrick Corbin's terrible deal. So we'll see what happens. But as also a guy that likes the Yankees, I think this is a great escape route for the Yankees to get out from Judge. I really do. Like, if the Yankees fork over four of their top five prospects... And uh, perhaps a young pitcher or one of the surplus bats that they don't often use. Uh, then that gives them Soto. They can let Judge walk on his age 30 season and sign Soto to a huge deal and replace Judge with the same bat except seven years younger. Yep. I think there's a couple of things that have come out that are interesting and also kind of don't make sense to me. The first off, you've heard a couple teams that come out. This is all under the hypothetical assumption that it is without a doubt that Soto is traded at the trade deadline, which we all know is so far from a guarantee. Like, as you right. said, he's got so much team control. There is there is no hard deadline for them to trade him. But let's say they are. A couple teams floated out. You see the Mets, you see the Yankees, and maybe like Padres. I can't see the Nationals trading a 23-year-old megastar in division just to see him so much. I understand they get right. a lot back from the Mets, but you don't trade stars in division. Hardly, most teams don't even trade within their division regardless. So Let me I put it this way. I'd there. rather see him than if they're going to trade in the division. I'd rather see them trade to the Marlins, but the Marlins won't do it because they're not going to pay him that much. Right? It's the same reason they got rid of Stanton and Yelich and um, uh, Azuna. Yep. So I don't I don't think the Mets are going to happen. So hypothetically speaking, let's say he does go 
to New York. I think you you have the right idea. You're going to pay Soto more than you would pay Judge. However, 23 years young versus 30 years young is a sizable difference. So let me just put it to you this way, that if, if Soto is traded before the deadline, is it to the Yankees? To me, that's the move that makes the most sense. I see the Cardinals bandied about a bunch, but the Cardinals have like nine outfielders right now. I mean, obviously, Soto would take over for that, right? So I understand that part, and they need another big bat there, but and they do have prospects. But those, to me, are basically the two, the two teams that I see that could make it happen um, the most. I don't see... I don't see the Mets, like, I know that they're interested and I know their owner could pay them a billion dollars and not even blink, but I don't see the Nationals trading. So, I mean, it's already bad enough that we have to put up with Harper at Philadelphia for 18 games a year for the next 12 years. Like, that's already bad enough. So, I don't think that they would actively trade Soto to, um, you know, to their division rivals. Do, do the Dodgers make sense? Maybe. Maybe. It's a possibility that the Dodgers just lurk out there and strike. Because the last time the Padres were linked to an at, it was Scherzer. And the Dodgers swooped in at the last minute and got Scherzer and Trey Turner. So that's possible. But I think it's one of those three. I think it's either the Yankees, the Cardinals, or the Dodgers if he is in fact traded but I don't I don't see him being traded by the deadline I honestly don't I think the Nats want to make him another offer and I think that with the pending uh, with the team being on the block to be bought and some of the names that are rumored to be buying the team one of them has twice as much money as Steve Cohen so if that sale goes through there's zero reason why the Nats couldn't keep Soto for 15 years and pay him of just massive sum of money. We will see what happens and what shakes out with the entire Soto situation. And just keep an eye on, on uh, Matt's Twitter at the salesman. If anything does happen, whether it is a good deal and you're excited or you're just upset, your Twitter timeline will be fascinating to read nonetheless. So check it out at the salesman on Twitter. Should anything happen there, but let's get into a couple news and notes here just from, you know, the past couple of days leading up to the break and really since we've last talked, but Chris sale back to the injured list. This one was more just bad luck than anything. Took a line drive right off the finger. I'll tell you what, it looked cool when he was walking off the finger was pointing in different directions. I finger injuries are fascinating with the way they look and how bad they look and everything like that. Finger injuries are fascinating, but he's going to be out for a little bit. This is a significant blow to the Boston rotation. So Sale's going to be out for a little bit. Do you see Boston making a move for an arm at the deadline? Because they're still kind of pretty much in the thick of things. I would think they would. They've got prospects that they could make the deal with um, and not necessarily hurt their system. Um, the question is, who's out there for them to go get, right? Because we hear we hear all these arms that are rumored to be talking, you know, rumored to be out there. But then you also hear teams going, well. With everybody still alive for the playoffs and everybody needing starters, nobody wants to give up any. So, like, we'll see. But I, I, I would assume that Boston would try and get some help um, as they make a playoff push this year. 
And then with the Mets, Jacob DeGrom's rehab start was pushed back. I believe the term that was tossed around was soreness. It only pushed it back a little bit uh, there. So it seems like maybe one more start, he's back with the team. Or maybe now since there was, I don't know if you really call this a setback. It was only a couple of days pushed back. But maybe now it's two rehab starts till he returns. Um, what do you think the timeline is with Jacob DeGrom at this point with this recent development? It's hard to say. The Mets said it was out of big, all caps, abundance of caution. Okay, but we can't believe you anymore. Like, just just stop. Just tell us when he's going to be on the mound and, and leave everything else up to the doctors that we can trust. Right? Don't say anything. Or better yet, just go get DeGrom's mom involved. Because the moms on the team seem to know more about the injuries of their kids than the medical staff. Um, who knows, right? Like, at this point, it doesn't behoove them to rush him. Just get him some innings and have him available for the playoffs. Because, I mean, you're going to make the playoffs at this point unless something absolutely disastrous happens. But that division is between the Braves and the Mets at this point anyway. So, um, I... Look, I can't read anything into DeGrom until we see him on the mound. That's basically what it comes down to. One person we won't be seeing on the mound for a little bit, a particular right-hander in Tampa Bay, going down with an elbow sprain, former Pittsburgh great, may I say, or Pittsburgh minor league great, I guess I should say. Um, is he is uh, Shane Boz a guy that at this point can be dropped in redraft leagues considering – there's there we'll see him i'm pretty sure but there's no guarantee and at that point what good what good is he going to be for the last handful of games aka his handful of starts to end the year right exactly we talked about this last week as well you know when you get a, a starter at this point who's going to be out for at least eight weeks they're they're droppable in redrafts keeper in dynasty obviously you're holding him because the guy's going to be filthy the one-two punch between mcclanahan and baz for tampa bay is going to be insane um for at least the next four years, and then they're going to trade both of them. Um, so, yeah, I would say we could drop Baz at this point uh, in redress. Luis Severino is staying in that same division, has gone on the injured list with right shoulder tightness, did not look good in his last start. Velo was down. Typically, that's the old tip of the cap to something's going on there. We don't really, we still kind of don't have a lot of information regarding it. So, he's someone to me you have to hold for the time being just because there's no really tangible information about him there. So uh, talk to me about Severino's shoulder. Right. It just sounds like it was tight, right? And it just sounds like it was, like, bugging him for that time. So I'm I'm sure the all-star break kind of causes the delay in, in hearing about injuries um, and whatnot because, look, there's no rush to um, to get the information out there because you got four days with no games uh, so what's the you know what's the rush? Um, it does, however, open that spot in the rotation for Domingo Herman, like we were talking about. What the, what would the Yankees do um, going forward? But it still doesn't help the question of Nestor Cortez's innings. Um, so yeah, I would hold Severino at this point until we know more, because if he's healthy, he's still a very very good pitching option. And then some guy named Mike Trout. I guess he's Shohei Otani's teammate. He went to the IL with some uh, with a rib issue here. Um, also did announce that he's going to captain Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. So that will be fun in 2023. We have that. So Mike Trout, rib issue. Um, obviously, you're not 
dropping him. He should be back in a relatively decent amount of time and come back and put up solid fantasy numbers. So any really any real concern with Trout? No, not really. This is kind of a yearly thing with him now at this point is he, he just gets banged up. This is kind of why the Angels were talking about him moving to left field at some point because left fielders tend to get less beat up than center fielders, just less ground to cover, less plays to make, less times you're running into the wall at full speed. Um, whether we see that next year or not, I don't know. Doesn't really change his fantasy value except that he might be healthier if they move him to left field. And then we have the Seattle Mariners on a 14-game win streak, brought them back within nine games of the AL West, and looking at win totals tied with the Rays for the third most, as I'm looking at this quickly, third most wins in the American League. So nice little run for Seattle. Baltimore had a nice little winning streak there at one point, too. So I think we both agree that the Baltimore win streak was probably more surprising than Seattle's, given just a quick glance at both rosters. Yeah, the talent um, level in Seattle's certainly <laughs> higher. For sure. So let me just pose it this. Let me let me give you two questions here. Um, are you convinced that Seattle will hold on and claim a playoff spot? And is there any chance that they overtake Houston at some point for the AL West crown? I don't think they're going to win the AL West. I do think they will make the playoffs. They were tantalizingly close last year, if we remember. It came down to, like, the eighth inning of Game 162. Um, and I expect them to make some moves at the trade deadline. They've got a, they've got a GM and Jerry Depoto who literally made trades from a hospital bed. Um, I'm not making that up. He was literally in the hospital following a procedure and made a trade. Um so they like to wheel and deal. They've got some prospects that are pretty intriguing. Um, one guy that might be intriguing could be if Jared Kalenic gets moved. Well, I let's go ahead and just lead right into this then. MLB trade deadline's coming up. One player guaranteed to be traded. Uh, is that I'm not guaranteeing I'm not oh, guaranteeing Jared Kalenic. I do think it would be very interesting to put a guy like that, um, you know, on the board to go get a starting pitcher, say the guy I mentioned last week in like Shane Bieber, um, because I think Kalenic could use a change of scenery at this point. Like, it's to the point where some people are branding him a quad A hitter, right? Because he smokes triple A and then can't hit in the majors. But maybe it's just the park because. Some guys just don't like hitting in Seattle, and perhaps Jared Kalenic is one of them. Um, could be an interesting piece to include in a deal to get another starter, uh, maybe more. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with. We've already mentioned a guy from this outfield, uh, though his you know Andrew Benintendi. We mentioned him before right his trade stock is down though because he's not vaccinated so anybody that's got to go play in toronto doesn't want him like the yankees literally said we're no longer interested in andrew benintendi because we have six games in toronto left and probably a playoff series there and we can't trade for a guy who can't play however his teammate in kansas city michael a taylor is being looked at by the yankees um who could use a guy that just straight up gets on base and plays really good defense um, so I'm going to say Michael A. Taylor gets traded because the Royals have like 97 outfielders. Um, I can see that for sure. I'm going to go with one that I'm actually going to talk about a little bit later too, but Pittsburgh's David Bednar will be moved. I, there's no such thing as a guarantee, but this one might just be as close 
as oh, you can get. It's a guarantee. You have a non-competitive team with a very good closer. Ooh. Sorry. Careful with non-competitive. Sorry. I mean, they will be eventually, just not now. I, um, I don't see. I don't see other teams winning games without getting a hit. Uh, I haven't seen that this year. I mean, that's true. But so. um, but no teams that are not hunting playoff spots. Let's put it that way. Uh, who have very good closers, move them for prospect pieces at the deadline every year. And by the way, just to clarify, the deadline is not July 31st this year. It's August 2nd. Yep. And so, and that will move every year based on the commissioner's discretion. Lovely. That was in the CBA. So if they feel that the playoff races are heating up, they might bump it. Lovely. To, like, it has to be within a week between some date in late July and, like, the first week of August. But they can manipulate it to get the most excitement at the trade deadline and keep the most teams in it. Yeah. Well, and Pittsburgh has a track record of trading relievers. We've seen it. When you look in terms of like bullpen ERAs, San Fran's is rather high. Toronto's is in the bottom half of the league. Boston's there. All, all teams that Boston use. needs a whole heap ton of bullpen <laughs> help. <laughs> they, like they, like a, a, a very – like they need an entire new bullpen. I'm sorry, Boston. But your bullpen has not been – has not been – great to say the least absolutely and you know amidst all of this we also had the mlb draft occur in uh leading up to it you've been putting out in your prospect reports a lot of good information about at that time then mlb draft candidates prospects where they were looking to go so we've seen it shake out a little bit i know you have some content coming out um here shortly that is outside of like just the first round players to like kind of keep an eye on. But let's just focus on the first round here for this. Who was your favorite pick in the first round of the MLB draft? Okay, so I am torn here. Um, you and I talked about this a little bit before um, we started recording. And, you know, you, you can you can go pretty deep in the, the, fir- the historic first round, by the way, because this was the first time in MLB history that four – sons of former players got drafted in the first round. Uh, so nothing made me feel older than watching Matt Holliday's kid go number one overall and then Andrew Jones's kid going number two overall. Um, but my favorite, I have a tie here. They're both in the top five. I feel like that's that might be a little bit of a cop-out. But Tamar Johnson was one of my favorite players coming into the draft. Uh, guy has an immaculate hit tool. He's one. Of the, he is the best prep hitter we've seen come out in the draft in maybe two decades. Um, He's phenomenal when his tools fully develop. Uh, He will be an all-star second baseman, maybe shortstop, uh, without without any issue. I was very bummed when your Pirates took Tamar Johnson at fourth until my Nationals took my second favorite player in the draft in Elijah Green at number five. Elijah Green's tools might be his ceiling might be the highest uh, in the entire draft. And I'm not saying this because the Nats drafted him. If you go back and read my prospect reports, I stated three weeks ago that Elijah Green might have the highest ceiling of any prospect in this draft. Um, there are multiple 70-grade tools that this kid possesses. If he can figure out uh, how to control the hit tool a little better and get that slightly above average, Man, we're talking about a guy who has some serious skills um, and, you know, can can 
<laughs> can really affect a game in multiple ways. So those would be my two favorite first round picks uh, would be those two guys. And then on the other hand, every, you know, teams make pick. There's going to be ones people like, ones that people don't like. What was your least favorite pick in the first round? Whether it's just the player themselves, maybe it was too big of a reach. Um, just what what would you classify as your least favorite pick in the first round of the MLB draft? So it's very, you know, it's very interesting because you're not in these boardrooms. You don't have access to all of the scouting information that all of these guys uh, and all these teams get, obviously. Um, but there are a couple. One, um, Kumar Rocker going third overall was very interesting to me. Um, he was, if, if those of you remember back last year, he was drafted 10th overall to the Mets, and I was very disappointed because I wanted the Nats to take him at 11th. So we got sniped there. Uh, and then the Mets medical staff, for some reason, who can't be trusted, uh, said his shoulder was all sorts of messed up. I mean, it turned out he needed surgery, but uh, he didn't sign with them. So he went and played independent ball through like 30 innings this year and then got drafted third overall. Maybe that pans out, but I don't know if I would have used like I think you probably could have gotten him in the second round and, and taken one of the uh, next three bats that went after Kumar Rocker um, and been happy with that. So it does pair in defense of Texas. It does pair Kumar Rocker with his Vandy teammate who they took last year and Jack Leiter. Um, but that, I think, was a reach. Um, I mean, MLB Pipeline and Baseball America had him in the mid-30s, and he went third overall. Um, another guy that is just – it was just a very interesting pick in my mind, which is uh, Mikey Romero. Um, Boston took him 24th overall. I promise I'm not just trying to pick on Boston – um, it just, it's just a weird spot for him. Like he's, he's good. I'm not going to say he's not good. You get drafted in the first round of the MLB draft. Odds are you have some skills, right? Um, but there's a, he's very raw. There's a chance he could have above average hit tool, but he doesn't have it yet. Right. There's a chance that he'll have decent enough power. There's a chance that uh, he'll be able to steal some bags. Um, but he doesn't really have a hugely strong arm, so they're going to have to move him off short, probably. Um, and in terms of, like, an impact bat, he doesn't have that. So you drafted a guy who you have blocked – right? Because they have Jeter Downs at second if he ever pans out. They have Xander Bogarts at short right now. They have um, why am I blanking on there? Oh, Trevor Story at second, right? They drafted Marcelo Mayer last year at shortstop who was a, a home run of a pick. So why are you using your your first round pick to take another shortstop and a guy that is only kind of average in all categories? Like, that to me was a weird spot to take him considering uh, you had a few very interesting guys still looming there that you could have taken, like maybe some more pitching depth. Is Am I safe to assume then that your surprise of the night basically in the draft was probably the Mikey Romero pick? 
Probably. I mean, Kumar Rocker, you can justify by if he pans out, he's an ace, and taking an ace at three third overall is perfectly fine, right? Um, so out of the first round, yeah, it would probably be Mikey Romero would be the most shocking to me. Yep. And then, like I said, there's Matt, Matt has plenty of content out there already about talking about these guys leading up to the draft, and there's going to be some more coming out uh, probably in the coming days with some other players drafted. I believe. I believe you said before we got on after the first couple of rounds, like names to be privy of. Is that correct? Yeah. My prospect report this week that I was writing right before we started recording and I'll finish writing right after we finish recording this Wednesday afternoon um, is focusing on the most interesting guys taken in rounds three through 20. Um, because a lot of guys get overlooked when you take them that, that far down in an MLB draft. Um, and you know, it, it's a great time if you're in a dynasty league to go prospect hunting for the next big thing before anybody knows they were the next big thing. If anybody remembers a few years ago when Daniel Espino was drafted and he was not um, exactly the talk of the draft, I had him pegged as the next Pedro Martinez. That is a comp I stick by. And now, guess what? He's in everybody's top 15 prospects. Like, everybody's. Um, so... Now, your chance of getting Daniel Espino, not great, right? But if you took him right after the draft a couple of years ago, you'd have him, and then you'd have the next ace pitcher on your roster. Um, so that's kind of what we're trying to do. Not saying everybody in this list is going to be that. These are guys that are intriguing and will have fantasy impact, in my opinion, uh, that were kind of overlooked and might be on the younger side or – you know, fourth-year college guys that can still have fantasy value that don't get a whole lot of attention because they're fourth-year college players. Um, so, yeah, that's be on the lookout for that. There's some very intriguing names, including one guy who uh, goes on the all-name team for this draft. Some very good names in this draft. Perfect. So make sure you check that out at fantasyalarm.com when that piece does come out. But we'll go ahead and put a bow on this episode as we get ready to Head into the second half of the Major League Baseball season. Of course, we will give our prediction for the week that lies ahead. I already talked about mine a little bit, but David Bednar is getting traded this week. It's just, it's going to happen. I haven't gotten a bold prediction right in a little bit, so I'm going to take the cop out and go with an easy one. So David Bednar gets traded. Matt, what is your prediction for the week? This is a very good question. Um, I will say that, and I'm not, let me double check the schedule here. I want to see if the Cubs uh, play at home before August 2nd. So give me a second here. I want to see what the Cubs schedule is. They are on the road the rest of July. And they are on the road till August 2nd. So I will say that Wilson Contreras has played his last home game as a Cub. I think you are right. Because he well. asked for, um, if you watched any of the games against the the Pirates, um, he asked for the ball in his last hit, which yep. is unusual for a guy who's got a bunch of hits. It wasn't a milestone, wasn't like, you know, like a thousandth hit or something. I think he just knows that it's his last hit at Wrigley Field as a cup. The writing is on the wall for Contreras, but for all my fantasy baseball teams, getting him in another lineup is going to be probably pretty good for those counting stats, because ideally he gets traded to a contender because... I mean, yeah, but it also depends on which... which True. Arc. 
True. <laughs> goes to. I mean, there could be For some sure. very fun parks he winds up at. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the trade deadline is coming up, like Matt said, August 2nd. So we're going to see a bevy of moves. Um, I'm sure we'll have analysis on the site in some way or another, whether it be in the daily roundups or prospect reports, if any you know, top, top-notch prospects are dealt at the deadline. So make sure you're checking out FantasyAlarm.com for everything related to baseball and reality, as well as fantasy baseball. Also, make sure you check out the Fantasy Alarm NFL Draft Guide. It is free this year, completely free. I believe all the coaching breakdowns are coming out now, and that's important to know. Because uh, Howard Bender is the one who got me turned on to Mike Williams last year with the new offensive scheme, with the targets being funneled through the wide receiver one. So make sure you check out all of the great content there. And the staff mock draft was released in which Matt and I were both in. So make sure you check that out. Let us know whose team you like better. Um, ultimately, it comes down to who had the most Texans. I don't know about your team, but that's where I always settle in on who has a better team. So make sure you check out all the great content at FantasyAlarm.com. For Matt Sells at the Sellsman on Twitter, I am Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter, and we will see you next week for the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.